0: kids, My name is
1: Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson.
0: And welcome to another episode of Make
1: Ours Marvel. This is episode. ready? Wait for it. Ready. ready. 50 what? of the show. What even is this?
0: 50. If it was one. Remember that? Braveheart? Never mind. Every it's time been someone says 50. a long time
1: since Braveheart.
0: <laughs> I always remember that old man. William Wallace killed 50 men. 50. If it was one.
1: <laughs> but, if he killed one, he also killed 50. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how math works, kids.
0: <laughs> that's how old wives' tales were, you know, myths work, I guess.
1: Right, right.
0: So, so we are. yeah. Because it's number 50, we obviously have a very special presentation planned.
1: Well, we're going to go this in true Silver Age fashion and do nothing special. Just keep doing our (laughs) usual thing. Um, Although it's worth pointing out that as we're recording this, our discussion of Tales of Suspense 50 just dropped today. So there's a weird bit of synchronicity there.
0: Wow. Yeah. We're just going to – we'll cover three books in about an hour and a half and uh, call it a day. Yep. Uh, Maybe. and, uh, and, And just maybe promise to do something special on our 100th episode instead. Or something. If somebody yeah. could come up with something.
1: If, if if there's an actual idea of what we could do on episode 100 in a, in a year, then, you know, yeah. we can consider that. Um, so we are in March 1964, and we're starting off that month brand new, and our first week is March 3rd. And, of course, our chronologically earliest comic, released on March 3rd, takes place in 1942. It, it would, yeah. Or thereabouts.
0: And... Guess who has to cover it again?
1: <laughs> it's always you. Almost. I think you've Almost done a couple. Always. Yeah, I have done a couple. and They're uh, not easy. No, it's like, man,
0: what the heck? Although I got to say this one was kind of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's Sergeant Fury, number seven, if we didn't say that out loud already. Uh, it came out. Which I think you already just said, but I'll say it again. March 3rd, 1964, cover dated May of 1964. And lately we get those cool credits. So this one says the powerfully written by ex-Sergeant Stanley, brilliantly drawn by ex-infantryman Jack Kirby. And then I guess Geo Bell and Art Simak weren't military because they don't get anything except inked and lettered by. Yep. Uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, the court martial of sergeant fury so there we go kids starting off good um we start out with the the gang uh having completed a mission and i think they're in france and their their pickup their ride just shows up in the form of a uh you know big plane a b-25 i think or something like that anyway these guys have captured this cute little adorable like uh Miniature German tank thing, which I'm sure was a real thing, but I don't know what it's called. I can't remember now. It doesn't matter to me. But that was their mission, I guess, to capture this little tank. And the B twenty really so tiny. The B twenty five, it's adorable. You just want to like pinch its little treads. Um, it uh <laughs> the the B twenty five pilot guy's like, thanks, we'll take that, but you guys have to stay here. The howlers are all what? No, we want to go home. It's like, no, you have another mission. You got to go help the French Resistance uh, do something. So in typical Howler fashion, they shoot their way through uh, German-occupied France um, and make it to the French resistance hideout, whereupon they find that the leader is actually an American, a lieutenant, I think, and Nick Fury knows him from childhood, and there's clearly some tension there. You can feel it in the air, you know, Uh, but unfortunately, the guy outranks Sergeant Fury, so Fury has to kind of just suck it up and say, yes, sir. And the guy leads them to the, on this mission where they're supposed to, like, ambush or, you know, take over or defeat what's called an ammo dump, whatever that is. You guys can tell I'm really military here. I have no idea what that means exactly. But something not good, I guess, a place with ammunition or something. Um, and they're just about to take it. They're, like, hiding in the bushes. And and the, the guy that Nick Fury knows, whose name is, like, uh, I want to say – Peter Parker, but it's like Spencer Parker. That's his name. Spencer Parker. It, Lieutenant Spencer Parker is about to like tell him to go. And then suddenly Nick's like, no, no, wait. Actually, you can't go. Listen to me. Stop. And Spencer, who already doesn't like Nick very much, is like, what? That's an order. I gave you an order, you insolent. Blah, blah, blah. You're just like you were in you know, the old days and stuff like that. And Nick's like, man, I can't get him to listen. So the only thing I can do is, Nick Fury style, punch him in the face. So he punches a superior officer in the face. And just then... Kind of like the movies, um, these planes come over that we don't really see, and like explosions happen. And from Fury's point of view, everything goes red, and we don't really know how everybody gets out, but they all do somehow because Fury wakes up in the hospital with um, Captain Happy Sawyer, or is that his name, Happy Sawyer? Happy Captain Sam. Sawyer, Happy Sam Sawyer. Is it ha- Happy though? Happy Hogan? Happy Sawyer? Yeah, it's Happy smiling. Sam because
1: he's always smiling. Okay, or no, only I, not.
0: I just realized right now for the first time that they've used happy on two different characters at the same time. That's weird. Anyway, um he's waking him up and he's like, Nick, Nick, why'd you punch that guy? And he's like, huh? I don't even remember what you're talking about. Really? No, I think I have amnesia. It's like, oh well, you're you've been arrested because you punched a superior officer and ruined a mission and it didn't really sound like you, so can you tell me what happened? No, I can't, I have amnesia. Ah, oh, that's horrible. So happy Sam Sawyer not happy Hogan, goes to get like the best lawyer he knows. And now there's a trial. So at the trial, uh, let's see, the bad guy lawyer, I think they're called prosecutors, Sometimes. calls calls uh, 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 his childhood friend to the stand, the Lieutenant Parker. And they kind of go over like Nick's background a little bit. Like he was on the wrong side of the tracks and Nick was er, – I don't know what his name is. Lieutenant Parker, Spencer Parker was on the right side of track. So they didn't really get along. They kind of fought over a girl. And so like the bad guy lawyers, like kind of really making it sound like Nick is a troublemaker and stuff. But then he kind of asked the defendant, The good guy lawyer kind of asked uh, Spencer, like, you know, well, what do you think of Nick? And he's like, oh, I always wished I could have been half the man he was. He, like, kind of admits begrudgingly. But then he also says, yeah, but he still hit me. So anyway, Nick's like mortified that he could have possibly hit this guy for no reason. He really can't remember anything. And while he's busy being mortified, uh, 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 the howlers. Are all hanging out in the bunks and they hear about some guy trash talking Nick. So they decide to go over there and get into a fight and that gets them all arrested. So now they're not only out of play, but they can't even be called as witnesses because they're in jail. So that's no good for Nick. Um, let's see. They call, they call a doctor who says he could be, he could have amnesia or he may not have amnesia. So that wasn't very helpful. Meanwhile, the Germans are setting up to bomb wherever they're at which I'm really not sure is America. It could be England or France. I honestly don't know. Sometimes it's hard book, to tell sometimes, right? I can't really tell in this book where they are because there's U.S. presence everywhere. So it could be anywhere. I don't know. But the, the Germans are going to bomb. Um, and then they like call – I think they call one more witness. They call um, – um, um, oh, they call um, Sawyer. And the bad guy lawyer is like, You really have to, like, scold him all the time, right? He's like, yeah. You really have to, like, uh, suspend him a lot. Yeah. Didn't you even kick him out of the military a couple times? Well, yeah. It's like, so he's a horrible soldier. No, he's the greatest soldier I've ever had in my life, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, this lawyer is kind of winning, essentially, because Nick can't remember what's going on. And just about then, the Germans bomb. The courthouse gets kind of destroyed. So that sort of frees Nick to save him. uh,
1: It is one of the air raids over Britain that's causing this problem.
0: Okay. So they're in Britain. They got... They were in France when it happened and then he wakes up in Britain somehow. Um, Anyway, the courthouse gets destroyed. Nick gets to be a hero with a shirt off and like pull everybody out of there. The Howlers escape because the prison's also destroyed. So they go and get some Gatling guns and stuff and Wahoo style like take the plane down. And while all that's happening, Nick suddenly remembers everything. And he asks his his lawyer to call a prisoner, a Corporal Schmidt. And Schmidt testifies that yes, Nick – Captured him like weeks ago or whatever, but, but instead of killing him, showed him mercy. So in exchange, this Schmidt guy told Nick about a trap that was being set in France at an ammo dump. So that's what Nick suddenly remembered and uh, tried to stop them. And everybody's like, oh, so if he didn't punch the lieutenant, you all would have been killed. So he is a good soldier. So they let him go. His childhood friend... Begrudgy actually stand upishly uh, tells him like you know it's a good thing you didn't listen and you're a good guy and they both shake hands and kind of like patch things up and then the howlers are so happy to see Nick again until it turns out he's the same old Nick and he you know cuts to him screaming at them as they're training again the end
1: the end ooh did you get like um, Star Trek vibes in this because I can think about that court <sighs> martial
0: it's so weird how I've got Star Trek vibes reading a lot of these old uh, uh, Marvel comics. And these predate Star Trek, so I can't say they're ripping off Star Trek.
1: Yeah. Like, we might be in, like, filming the Cage season. but Yeah, that comes maybe. Out, yeah, actually, probably, because that was given in 1964. Um, so they're probably working on that episode by now. Um, but, yeah. So... <sighs> I love, this is not the first time we've had a scene like this, but you know, they, they're finishing a mission and they're going to have to go on another mission. And it's like, it's like that moment whenever you're nearing the end of your really long shift and you're bone tired and you're ready to go home and your boss is like, yeah, I'm going to need you to work late tonight. Thanks. Mm. Work Saturday. Yeah. Only times a thousand.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, they should be used to this by now. It happens to them all the time. Right. I don't know. Like, they're the only ones warring, I think, in this book, seems like. Uh, it's nice yeah, we're, that we're, we got some, uh, you know, this book is a lot of re- repetition. Um, you know, assign them to do a, a, a suicide, a suicide mission. mission. They don't die. They get through it. There's a lot of yuck yucks along the way. And then they wait for their pickup and they go home. So this one was like the end of one of those repetitive issues. Mm-hmm. And instead we get – I like that we got like something different. The court stuff and a little bit of Nick Fury flashback.
1: shake shaking uh, it the formula a little bit. Yeah. yeah a little bit about Nick Fury's childhood is, is good. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, this um, was enjoyable.
1: The, uh, the whole trial and everything is – l- I mean – my only real complaint about the plot of this is that the overall structure is just contrived. Uh-huh. Like the entire trial hinges on Nick Fury not remembering. Right. And as soon as he does remember, everything comes out and it's all okay. Yeah,
0: well, because obviously our Nick Fury would never, would never punch a uh, you know superior officer unless there was a reason. Right. So if he remembered, all he has to do is explain himself, I guess.
1: But I love the interaction between him and Parker because, and I forget if you said this, but the the shtick is that he and Parker were friends as kids. And so running into Parker is like, oh, it's my good friend. And he's like, he tries to talk to him first name. And Parker's like pulling rank. You know, I'm I'm a lieutenant. I'm an officer. You're an enlisted sergeant. You will address me appropriately. And so for the rest of their conversation, uh, Fury is constantly calling him sir. And it's in bold Uh like, yeah, 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 sir. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sir. It's pretty great.
0: They were never friends, though. At least he says that on page 10. They were like, acquaint- they knew each other. Okay. And at one point had a serious run in. Um, I do think it's interesting like that Nick has to answer to anybody because in a way, it's like the Howlers almost seems like they're autonomous. Uh, so it is kind of funny when Nick has to uh, salute and say, yes, sir. And I feel like this is not the first time he's punched a superior officer. It can't possibly be.
1: No. <laughs> You know, no, I don't just, think just in a
0: bar fight, he probably has. But
1: yeah, they, they are kind of autonomous. They they basically are their regular Joe Army ver- version of superheroes. Yeah, you know they they could basically go off and do everything and be you know except for Junior, you know, be impervious to whatever happens. And and yet when they go home, they still have to fall in rank and obey the chain of command and everything. And so it's a little mm-hmm. bit, it's an interesting blend.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we get that Fury. I guess we get two flashback flashbacks. I forgot about the the priest as a uh, as a, uh, a witness too. I didn't mention that at all. But the first flashback is with uh, Lieutenant Parker, obviously a long lost uncle of Peter Parker. Um, and we got that that Nick was a guy who didn't do any more work than he had to, is what how he was described, and got uh-huh. a lot of gotten a lot of fights, but mostly was the dude who like. You know, scam people out of money playing pool and stuff like that, um, which doesn't really sound like the Nick we know today in a way. Like, certainly he's a hard worker now, but I guess I can see him still getting in a lot of fights and being from the wrong side of the tracks.
1: Yeah, and I I wonder how much of this is uh, r- similar to Jack Kirby's own upbringing because uh-huh. we've talked about before how really the character of Sergeant Fury feels like a lot of the stories we've heard about Jack Kirby. You know, just his personality sure. and. And getting into fights in the streets, you know, there's the stories about him coming into work at Marvel, you know, and regularly getting into a dust up, a fist fight on the way to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nick Fury and the thing are basically uh, Nick or basically Jack Kirby, but
1: uh, yeah, different interpretations of that.
0: But then the second flashback is they call up this priest, which I totally forgot about in my summary. And apparently at some point, Nick being troublemaker was introduced by this priest to the priest's son. I don't know if they ever say his name, Nick. No, Nick Fury is Nick Fury. I don't know. I guess they don't say his name. But anyway, the two of them become good friends and end up like boxing together, which is like one way to back in the '60s, I guess, or the '50s or the '40s, that you uh, help troubled youth as you taught them to box, Mm-hmm. much like Spider-Man comics. Um, and then that guy dies. That this son of the priest, and that is apparently what inspired Fury to become. Uh, A commando Somehow Oh because the guy died In Pearl Harbor Yeah Now that kind of Does that mess up Dates at all Or no That's okay right
1: Yeah I mean Pearl Harbor was What brought the United States Into the war So that's December 1941 Mm -hmm. And the United States Going into the war Is probably what caused A lot of people to enlist Right. So theoretically, we'd have somebody like, like Nick Fury who went and enlisted. Now, I don't know how they choose ranks among non-commissioned officers. If you have to, you know, no matter what, you're a private first and then you can work your way up to sergeant. Or if there's something like, you know, oh, you're older, you're more experienced, you have, you know, you're physically fit. You know, we go through basic training, you can be in command of some soldiers. I don't know right. if that's how it works. I have no idea what I, kind of I, you know things they use.
0: The only thing I understand about ranks is from Star Trek. So all I know <laughs> is na- all I know is Navy ranks, right? And even then, they had non commissioned officers like Miles that they were right. so in- they were so inconsistent about that. I never really understand the difference. Like, what? How does that work? Like, as long as you went to like officer school, you get to be an officer, but otherwise, you're just always stuck being a grunt for the rest of your life, or. Man. So my,
1: my understanding, yeah. and a lot of this comes from, you know, conversations I had as a result of Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> right. That Battlestar was, Galactica, that was the Army. Well, they, but they did a lot more to show the distinction between officers and non-coms. Right, right. So um, my understanding is that the officers went – to school to be military officers. Uh They learned how the military works. They learned how to command. They learned how to, you know, strategy. You know, whatever it is you need to to be an officer, you go to school for that. Whereas the non-coms, they have gone to the military as a job. Like, I am good at fixing planes. Okay, I can fix planes for the army. You know, I am good at computers. I can do computers for the Navy. And there's a rank system among those people. But... It's not the same rank system as the officers.
0: So like let's go back to Miles O'Brien because let's make this a Star Trek podcast. Uh-huh. Um, he's essentially acting as chief engineer on Deep Space Nine. Like every show has their chief engineer. He was the guy, right? Right. But then like, say, Now graduates Starfleet Academy, Is he automatically higher ranked than fricking Miles O'Brien, who knows way more and has been around way longer?:
1: Yes. that's craziness. That, right. Because that's one of the weird things about, you know, the system is that you'll have your fresh face out of the Academy Ensign and your 50-year-old guy with 30 years of experience working in the system doing, you know, the quote-unquote more menial jobs, they'll have to salute to the Ensign.
0: It's like Heartbreak Ridge. Oh, my gosh. That's how that works. Okay, that's making sense to me now. You ever see that movie, Clint Eastwood? Uh, No. Yeah, he's an old gunny. I guess gunny means... I don't know what it means, but obviously not an officer cuz he had to report to like this dude who's 30, who's never seen a war. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's crazy. What a weird setup.
1: But you have you um, have you know that that same setup is kind of mirrored in Star Wars also cuz you have the Clone Wars where the Jedi were essentially the same thing as officers. And so all uh-huh. the clone troopers that the the most experienced clone trooper takes orders from the brand new Jedi
0: yeah the guy sitting around in a robe meditating right yeah so
1: like Ah ahsoka comes along in the in the in the first episodes of star wars the clone wars and captain rex theoretically at least is supposed to follow her orders wow so it's 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 an interesting weird you know you know weirdness to the system there and and Again, this is all from, like, conversations with people and media. So, military listeners, if I have anything wrong, feel free to join the discussion by writing an email. But that's my understanding.
0: I feel like he's just come a really long way in a very short period of time. But we also don't know any other backstory except these two flashbacks. So, maybe he's been uh, an amazing fighter this entire time and he's well, see The gels. weird thing is,
1: is that the, um, the flashback you were talking about with the kid in the ring – Mm-hmm. That redheaded kid, I totally thought that was going to drop to be Dugan. Oh, yeah. And like, it's kind of funny because, and this is a weird, you know, interesting art versus words here. The first panel we see of them, they're looking at each other. They both have black eyes. Yeah. And you feel fighting. like they gave each other black eyes. Oh, but But yeah. the, di- the, the narration is, he was a wild boy when I first met him, always in trouble. Then I learned he had no family. He was an orphan. But he became a close friend of another boy in my parish. Close friend? They just beat each other up.
0: Well, that's how guys work, right? I guess. <laughs> well, that's the stereotype anyway, so.
1: Thank you, Gillette, for kind of pointing some of those things out and saying, hey, <laughs> we can be better than this. Not 1964. Uh, right. Yeah. Um So... The going back a few pages to the scene in the barracks on page 14 uh-huh. with bull McGivney. Oh yeah. Uh huh. So I thought this is pretty great because the howlers just need to blow off some steam and they find out bull McGivney has been shooting off his mask. Like, you know what? Let's go beat him up. that will be fun. Um, I had forgotten that this was bull McGivney's first appearance. Uh, yes, he does come into the comic quite a bit as, as sort of a recurring character. Uh, and so I actually, in my head thought that maybe we had seen him already, but this is our first time to see him in the show.
0: So his character right now is that he thinks Nick Fury is, is a bunch of like his, his rep is a bunch of malarkey and he's just as cool.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Why is, you know, why is the star of the book so cool? I can be just as cool as he is.
0: Well, because Nick has a, uh, uh, a uh, six pack for one, but, uh, you know,
1: you know, Bull's bringing the keg.
0: Yes, he does look like a big dude. They don't actually show him fighting, so we don't even know if he won or if he's any good. He's just sitting there, and then they attack him, and it cuts mm-hmm. off. So, yeah, it'll be cool if he comes back. That was interesting.
1: But it's actually a pretty engaging read. Um, uh-huh. None of the other characters besides Nick get a whole lot of spotlight this time around. Uh, and like I said, the, the structure of the story makes the ending feel just a bit too pat and easy.
0: Yeah, and you, you knew it was coming the entire time. It's like, as soon as he remembers, this is over. So it's mostly just an excuse to go through his life, sort of. And here, I, have, here, I have a couple
1: of closing notes, but did you have any okay. other thoughts on the book? No, not really. Well, this is the last bi-monthly issue.
0: Okay.
1: Starting with issue eight, this book is going to be monthly. So uh, the book that comes out in May will be monthly after that. As a result, we have to sacrifice our artist.
0: <gasps>
1: no. Yes, Jack Kirby is going to be leaving the book with issue 8.
0: That may not be good. I guess it depends on who they get. I don't know if
1: Dick Ayers picks it up immediately, but Dick Ayers – yeah, I like Dick Ayers on this book. Okay. I think he does a lot better with humans doing human things than he necessarily does with superheroes.
0: Because say what you will, like whether – like I kind of find this book a little repetitive, like I said, but dang, the art is really good. Mm -hmm. usually top quality. Like sometimes you could tell when Jack is phoning it in or he's being stretched, but he never does that with fantastic four really. And he never does it with this title. And, uh, he's also great at comedy, which this title is full of, you know? Yes. So yeah, that makes me a little worried if he's going away. We'll see how that, what happens.
1: We'll have to see how that goes.
0: And then I don't know if you're going to say this, but I forgot like the last caption of the last panel on the last page.
1: I'm going there now.
0: We're getting a replacement for Junior.
1: Yes. Which may be a result of Ayers. Maybe he's an Ayers creation. Or maybe he's a Kirby creation that got handed to Ayers. But um, but yeah, um, I'll be looking to see what you think of Pinkerton next Pinkerton. Uh, next yeah. issue.
0: All right. Okay. Shall we? We shall. Let's Journey. go from mundane humans to the exact opposite.
1: Giants Walking the Earth and Journey Into Mystery 104. Um, the most dramatic hero of all time and the pride of the Marvel group. Interesting. That's an interesting, but a copy there on the front. Um, nothing you have ever seen before can equal the breathtaking spectacle of Giants Walk the Earth. All right. So that's a neat splash page.
0: You have to do the credits on this one. That's some really yeah. drawn out credits.
1: This is a tale, so powerful in concept, so dramatic in scope, that only the inspired talent of Stan Lee could have written it. Only the gifted hand of Jack Kirby could have illustrated it. Inked by Shakespeare, letter by S. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Possibly one of the ten all time epics you will never, ever forget.
0: Wow. Um, that didn't it, even say that didn't even say. 10-time all-time comic epics. That just said epics. Right. Like so, this and lame is you know?
1: It's a pretty great splash page of Thor with the world behind him, and he's swirling his hammer. So, it's like, there's this circle of, of hammer travel going around the Earth with several headshots of characters, um, only three of which we've ever seen before. Well, uh-huh. we've seen Balder before, but not very much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We um, couldn't pick him a out of the giant- lineup. Yeah, there's a giant whose name I'm forgetting, uh, and Loki's giant. there, and Odin's there, and yeah. Surchar's
0: there. And Surchar. I think his name yeah. is Giant. Isn't he just like the big giant or something like that? I want to say know.
1: his name is Stag or something like that. Okay, okay. maybe. They he do give a him a name because I looked him up, and this is his only appearance.
0: Oh, bummer. He was so
1: yeah. awesome. He's Stag. So, so. Yeah, with two G's. That's right. Actually, he may have an appearance like way the F down the road, like in the modern 2000s comics. But for our purposes, this is his only appearance. Um, All right. So Loki wants to get Thor, and he's kind of annoyed at the Executioner and the Enchantress for not getting Thor. The Enchantress is like, you know, whatever. Thor was pretty great. (laughs) Um, So Odin... Is standing on a lightning-infested crag of mountain, you know, moaning the fact that Thor is, you know, lusting after this mortal woman, and what can I possibly do? Um, I the only emotion I can't control is love, which is the weirdest thing I've ever heard a man say. Um, and he asks Loki his opinion. And if I remember right, the writing here was like, oh, talking to Loki about Thor's situation is a novel idea when I feel like he's done that every issue. Yeah. And yes. Loki's like, you know what? You should go down there. You should go down there and be all Father Odin and talk to your son in person and show him what's up. And Odin's like, you know what? I will do that. Oh, and by the way, any, meeny, miny, mo, Loki, you're in charge <laughs> while I'm gone. And here's some of my power to have it, you know. And Loki's like, yes, now I will be in charge. I will sit on the throne. I'll never give the power back. Odin will never show up again. It's going to be great. And I'm going to have a play. And I hire Matt Damon to play Thor. And I'm going to hire... No, that that happens in Ragnarok, though. Um, Okay, so transfer our scene to... uh, the mortal world of Midgard. And um, we're basically like five minutes after the last chapter. And Jane Foster is taking a nap after, you know, being so exhausted by the previous issues events. Um, She wakes up and she and Don talk and she leaves for the day. And Don's spider sense goes off. So he turns into Thor and um, he, you know, looks for Loki to see what's going on, what made him, you know, worry about stuff. Meanwhile, Odin is walking the streets dressed as a dude. Loki's enjoying his throne. He's like, you know what I'm going to do? My first act as king, I'm going to wake up some bad guys. Surtur, you're free. You're no longer trapped in the middle of the earth. And Skag, you're important. So y'all should go and attack the earth. And, um, let's see. I forget how... Balder gets down there, but something inspires Hemdall. Balder.
0: To- Heimdall tells tattles on Loki.
1: Okay, so Heimdall sees all this and says, "Balder the Brave, you're awesome. We've we've mentioned you a couple times. You should definitely be part of the book. Why don't you go <laughs> um, get a costume design that'll actually kind of stick around a bit and grab your winged horse and go help out your friend Thor?" Baldur's like, "Hey, I can do that." And so he goes down and warns, uh, you know, Thor that, hey. Loki is on the throne because Odin's down here being a person and there's shenanigans. You should go tell Odin that there's going to be like Surter and the giant. And uh, Thor's like, oh, I should totally go do that. And why did I leave my office? That was dumb because that's where my dad's going. So he flies back to his office to meet Odin. And Odin has like this epic, like bearded suit look is pretty great. And Thor says, hey, dad, bad stuff. Loki, giant Surtur. And Odin's like... Okay, I've got this. We're going to fight these guys. But first, all five billion humans, (laughs) y'all need to leave the planet. So I'm going to send all of you in like this river of humanity to another dimension. Okay, good. That's done. Now let's go fight some giants. So they go and fight Giants and balders on his winged horse, and Odin's got his big armor, and Thor has his hammer, and they fight the giant, and they fight Surtur, the fire demon, and it's all epic and fantastic, and they win. Um, And then I think they blast Surtur into space, and he gets strapped to an asteroid and changes dimensions and turns into Doomsday. Um No, that doesn't really happen, but it kind of reminded <laughs> me of that. And uh, then Odin, like, leaves, and he never really talked to Thor about Jane, and um, he goes back home and scolds Loki for trying to usurp his power, and that's kind of it. Yeah. I forget what they actually did to the giant. They beat him, but I forget exactly what happened.
0: Uh, um, I don't know. It was some god thing. Let's see. What did they do?
1: They shot him? Oh. They were shooting him with a bolt of some sort?
0: With Odin, like suck the power out of him with his sword but then that weakened Odin cuz it took so long it was like so much
1: oh yeah yeah yeah
0: so much power to like suck out of a big giant i guess i don't know
1: oh cuz loki was fueling skag with power and so he oh, yeah. was out of power too mm-hmm.
0: well this was a big god issue wasn't it
1: yeah i feel like you know thor probably when he first saw giant man he's like huh, you call that a giant no no <laughs> Grab Skag. This, this is a giant.
0: Right? Yeah, it's funny. He's never mentioned that giant man calls himself giant man or anything. Giants? Yeah, you know giants. He's like 12 feet tall. Psh. I thought uh, bigger.
1: Yeah, and the woman on Doom Patrol can get to 65 feet tall. So, you know, whatever.
0: Wow, that's not fair. Right. But yeah, we get like a better design for Odin, a better design for Balder. Uh, I think get-
1: Heimdall's setting into a consistent look.
0: Yeah, the back of his head is, yeah. But uh, I thought this was mostly fun. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of fighting and stuff, but it was neat to have uh, you know Odin and Baldur more involved than they have been.
1: Yes, but, I mean, Baldur is about to get a couple of uh, Tales of Asgard chapters. Okay, and cool. so far, we've only seen him twice.
0: And he wasn't doing much. We've like have seen he him. Just, he complained about his sister being kidnapped or something.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's that one Tales of Asgard thing where he came and told Thor, my sister got kidnapped. Sif, go save her from Ella. And also in like the first or second Loki story, whenever he straps Loki to his hammer and throws him back to Asgard. Yeah. And Loki landed amongst a crowd of Asgardians. Yeah. Um, that was like one of the first times we had named Asgardians and Baldur was in the list of names. And it was just the back of their heads, and I feel yeah, just like back of the head.
0: I feel like they still do that a lot, but with this issue, they're kind of opening it up now. They're like, "Let's give some designs to some of these guys," right? Like because even Odin till now didn't look like he does in this. Like in this, he's like got this big honking belt and a bare skinned cape and kilt and standing on a rock with you know these blue all seeing eyes and lightning and thunder, and it's like, wow, that's Odin. Before this, he's just been kind of sitting in a chair going, "Don't touch me." So. Right. Now he looks like a god of gods.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If I were, you know, going to look at a picture of the all father of the Norse gods, that panel on page two is a pretty good image. Yeah. He's just missing the eye patch. Yeah. Maybe make him bigger, of course, if you're going to do that. But it's a pretty good concept. Um, Okay. So Loki comes and talks to Odin about Thor.
0: (sighs) What the heck? I feel
1: like that's all we see lately.
0: Well, why is Odin continuing to follow Loki's advice ever about anything?
1: Yeah, well, this is, the first, this is the first time I think that Loki has, like, really taken advantage of Odin. He's taken advantage of Thor any number of times. But
0: why isn't he, like, imprisoned in a tree for life or something
1: at this Right. this don't know.
0: I don't know either. Like, wasn't Loki – first of all, I want to say that at some point they say something like, Odin hasn't been to Earth in forever. Oh, he says that. Visit Earth after all these ages? Wasn't that just like five issues ago that <laughs> that he and all the guys dressed up as like old dudes at a Kiwanis club to oh, save? Oh,
1: yeah. They went to the United Nations. They became the United Nations guys. Yeah.
0: So he's just there. And that was because of Loki, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. Well, I because
1: Loki had turned Thor bad by hitting him in that one magic spot in the back of the brain.
0: Yeah. So right there, that's offensive to Odin. You'd think that would be worthy of some imprisonment or something.
1: Yeah, well, it was after that that he got put in the Isle of, Isle of Silence. So, okay,
0: so we went from that to giving him all the power in the world?
1: Yeah, see, I don't, I don't know. what What is Odin thinking when it comes to Loki? I don't know. Is he just it. really freaking forgiving of everyone except for Thor?
0: Or does he just feel guilty that – about? I mean, I'm just putting inferring this because I don't know how the comic plays out. But is he just feeling guilty that, like, it's his son but not his son? But is, it's his son, you know? I don't know. Like, yeah, he's half goblin or whatever he was half frost. Giant. Not,
1: and not his favorite son, because he says to Loki all the time, my favorite son, Thor.
0: Yeah. The good looking one.
1: Right. My pretty blonde boy, son.
0: So you said like Jane's recovering from the story in the last issue.
1: Yeah, the Executioner and and Trencher story. We're kind of following up on that action pretty quickly.
0: That's what I was going to ask you, because I suddenly completely blocked what happened last issue. But yeah, that's what happened. You're right. Okay.
1: What's interesting is we have basically a a four-issue run of continued action, which is the longest we've ever done, because issues 101 and 102 were a two-part time travel story with Zarco. And then that led pretty quickly into... Uh, the Executioner Enchantress story, and that leads into this story. And we've never had a run of four issues long action before. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah.
0: Um, I like that Thor has like this Highlander ability to sense when other immortals are in New York. (laughs) I actually do like that. I wonder if they continue with that idea down the road or they just did it for this story to give him something to do but he's like just sitting there like I sense in the air something weird I better fly around and he's not mm-hmm. wrong cuz Odin's here
1: he doesn't recognize the sense that he's getting it he just feels like something bad is going to happen he's going to go search the city for it, and Odin is there i like your comparison to Highlander cuz i'm watching through that show uh-huh. um so yeah it's pretty great now not, we already talked go not ahead not
0: as great not as great as Odin in a suit With a hat on, walking through New York, not getting mugged. That was pretty damn great.
1: Yeah, and like, shoving people off them. Don't touch me.
0: (laughs) Far more interesting than you suspect, mortal. None may touch the person of Odin. And he's just like, brushing his suit off as they're like, unconscious. That was cool. My name
1: is not Mac.
0: (laughs) That was really fun. I liked that a lot.
1: Then like, then like hey, Odin, we've got troubles. And Odin's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I'm like, why are you so extra? Sending all of humanity to another dimension so you can have a fight?
0: Well, that, and now you're just setting us precedent that he can do that. Yeah. Any, anytime, like, oh, man, you got to be careful. Here's the magic thing I have again. Like, don't let characters do something that's so insane because then they should be able to do it again and again and again. Right. Like, Is right. Odin really that powerful that he can just wave his hand and Everybody on Earth gets put in limbo.
1: Seems like a lot, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I've, I've never known him to be like that in any of my Odin reads, but I confess that I haven't read a lot of Thor, so I don't know. He always just seemed like a really buff dude who had a lot of power. <laughs> like, you know, more dark side type or something. But uh, what do I know?
1: Evidently not a lot. Yeah. No, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so... I didn't have a lot to say about the fight with Skag and searcher I mean, it's there. It's cool. Seeing Searcher again was neat because we had so far only seen him in Tales of Asgard. So this is maybe the first time that the Tales of Asgard has directly inf- in- informed uh, a lead story. Mm-hmm. Which is theoretically the whole purpose of the Tales of Asgard, right? You'd think.
0: Or, yeah, at least inform the backstory of these characters we're reading about. Right. It's a fun fight. I mean, Kirby's great at drawing fights, especially god fights with all the wind and the water and the blowing up and stuff. And it's neat to see Baldar. He got to do. He got to smash. Uh, what's his name? Skag. He got to smash Skag's club, which was cool with his sword. That's pretty much all he did, though. He got knocked out after that.
1: And so now Surtur is no longer in the center of the earth.
0: And he doesn't look like the Surtur I think of when someone says Surtur. Oh yeah. I don't know. Isn't he supposed to be like? I don't know. He looks like a little goblin dude with a fire sword. He
1: does. He almost looks like one of the lava men. Yeah. Yeah. I think he should be more larger and more fire. I think he was larger and more fiery in the tales of Asgard situation. Now he's just kind of a little horned red dude.
0: See, we don't have our, our resident Asgard expert analyzing these stories because they're clearly not, you know, true. (laughs) They're, they're made up for Marvel, but sometimes I have questions for him. Like, what the heck is Surtur supposed to be? And uh, anyway, yeah, it doesn't well, seem like uh, like isn't he supposed to be at least in the movies? Isn't he the guy who brings around Ragnarok or something like that? Or
1: yeah, at the end of the at the end of history, he's supposed to help bring around the end of the world.
0: So this little imp guy with a fire sword is supposed to do that? that yeah, yeah. Skag looks way more impressive.
1: He does a bit, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. In fact, and I don't even the, know what Surtur does. Say again. To Surter all he does is he makes a fireball. I think Skag does most of the fighting here.
1: Yeah, Surtur's, I mean, he's there and he's menacing and the idea of fire is good, but he's not really oh. doing that much. He makes himself into
0: a fireball and he's going to melt the ice caps, which I actually was kind of surprised that in 1964, people realized that ice caps melting was going to kill the world. I don't know. I thought that was a more recent idea.
1: Well, I think that the, the idea is that if the ice caps melted, they could drown the world, but surely that's impossible. That could never happen.
0: Mm. I just, I wasn't aware that we were aware of that so long ago, but that's cool. Yeah. So that's all he does is he almost melts the ice caps, but then Thor uses Odin's sword to direct his uh, tra- tra- uh, trajectory to a, an asteroid, the end. So he did nothing.
1: <laughs> and he also does nothing for what he originally went down there to do. He went down there to talk to Thor about Jane.
0: Oh, Odin! And, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, they're getting ready to leave. He's like, hey Thor, why are you lagging behind? He's like, I can't go. Earth is my home. I will never leave. And it's the home of the one I love. And I was like, still you're obdurate. We have settled nothing. But this is not the time to speak of such things. And I'm like, this is what you came here to do. <laughs> you came here to talk to Thor about this. Here's Thor. Here he is. Are you going to talk? No? Okay. Thanks, bad dad.
0: Yeah, and then guess what? Hemdal has told me of your treachery, Logan. You will serve the trolls until I set you free. How much you want to bet within the next couple issues he'll be back whispering in Lo- Odin's ear again?
1: Yeah, I was actually just wondering where, Thor, uh, where Loki is the next time we see him. Find out. So I'm going to do that looking real quick um, at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website at marvelreading.com because it's fantastic. And... While I'm doing that,
0: I want to read what Odin says while you're doing that. He says, in all the universe, there is none braver, none worthier than Thor. Yet I fear for him, for the future is fraught with danger and his heart is weakened by love. Yikes. So that's Isn't why. That really going to make him weak? That's the first excuse we've actually had of why he doesn't like the idea of Thor dating Jane. He's never said. Apparently it's because his heart gets weak.
1: I guess.
0: Being in love doesn't make you a good warrior.
1: Okay, so Loki's next appearance is really soon. The Avengers number seven. Oh. Which is the Masters of Evil storyline.
0: Where they find him serving trolls, hopefully.
1: Hopefully. Well, see. And, uh, oh, Loki's going to be in Strange Tales? That's weird.
0: But anyway, that's all I have on this. And unless you have more, we have another story to...
1: We do have another story. Um, There's a middle story called Revenge, which we're just going to skip over. And then we have the last story, Heimdall, guardian of the mystic rainbow bridge. He gets a suit now. Yeah, <laughs> and his look in the back here is, is is pretty much the same look he has in the main story. So, I yeah. hopefully Heimdall actually has a look now. Yeah, because of all the uh, extra Asgardians, we've seen Heimdall the most, but his look has been inconsistent.
0: He has an H on his shield, just to, <laughs> just to point that out. <laughs>
1: Yes, he does. Yes, he does.
0: (laughs) Not a family crest or anything like that. You know what? My name starts with an H. This is my shield. I got an idea.
1: So, um, way back in the day, Asgard suffered some defeat, or not a defeat, but an attack by the storm giants, and they barely fought them off. And Odin's like, you know what? If I had somebody actually guarding this place, that'd be cool. So we've got this big rainbow bridge and any old storm giant can just walk in whenever he wants to. So I should post a sentry out there. So, um, Heimdall, could you come and like be part of a, little, of a little contest I'm running to see who the best guardian of the bridge would be? Heimdall's like, Oh, so you called me not to make me the guard, but to like let me come. Sure, sure, I can do that. So Heimdall is up against two other dudes um, whose names I don't know. But one guy is like a really strong guy. And the strength would be helpful in guarding the bridge because he can blow the warning trumpets really loud and hard. And and here here I'll demonstrate. And he blows the warning trumpets loud and hard. And I'm really curious to know if anybody like freaks out in the town. (laughs) They're blowing the warning trumpets, but they don't talk about that in the story. Um, And I was like, okay, that's cool. And then, um, Heimdall puts his ear to the ground and says, I have ears that can hear everything. Even now I can hear the tiniest plant growing in this one place where there are no plants growing. And I can see off into the far, far distant. I can see everything that's happening. And like, we don't believe you. That's not really, you can't really hear that plant. You're making up crap. Odin, Prove him. He's he's making up crap. So I was like, okay, um, I'm gonna have this little guy go and check out the barren land. And bar- guy checks out barren land. Sure enough, there's a plant growing where no plants had grown before. And I don't even know if the third guy even gets to compete because I was like, this is our dude. And he um, was really I,
0: agile. That's all I remember. Okay, that was and his I power. Was like,
1: by the way, with my cool eyes, I can see an army invading. They are two days away, and they're going to come and invade, so you should just definitely go attack them. And I was like, get the army together! And they go, and they fight against the attacking storm giants. They take the king prisoner, and um, he makes Heimdall the guardian of the Rainbow Bridge. And now Heimdall's out there just Heimdall, guarding the Rainbow Bridge
0: forever. Open the bypass tree. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of things about this. Mm-hmm. The first thing is, is I don't read I I don't sneak a peek at, uh, you know, our experts' uh, criticisms or praises for these stories. Right, I just read them, and I gotta say, even though apparently a lot of these aren't very true, or you know, true to the source material, it always reads like it is. I think yeah. I want to give Stanley credit like you read these stories and yeah they sound bonkers but they sound bonkers in a cool like mythological way like I could I could picture an old man telling the kids about how and then Odin needed a god so he brought three people in and this guy could breathe really hard and blow the horn and this man was really agile and you know I could totally see that being a mythological story about yep. about Hendel. so props to Stan and Kirby or Stan and whoever has done these has always been Kirby, yeah. Um, I think and Heimdall's
1: do. porridge was just right.
0: Yes, I think they do a great job with that that style. I don't know. Apparently, they're just making stuff up, but that's okay. Um, no,
1: you're right. They 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 do a good job making them feel like myth, even if yeah. they're pulling those stories out of their butt. They feel like myth, and and that's neat. Yeah. Um. I do wish they would stay a little bit more true to the source material, but you know, at the same time. Maybe they feel like they are just by bringing in actual ideas and doing their own thing with them. Maybe they feel like that's enough because um, they're actually using ideas instead of just. My thought is that neither Stan nor Jack sat down with a book on Norse <laughs> mythology and read it. Uh, well, there, they probably look This
0: was pre internet. Right. Uh, they probably had one set of Encyclopedia Britannica's.
1: Right. And that's it. So, and, you know, if they want to take a trip to the library. So, just by bringing in elements from the myths, they feel like they're getting true to life and true to the stories. Um, nowadays, you're right. Nowadays, with the internet and access to so much instant information, somebody who wanted to do uh, Norse mythology in comic book form should avail themselves of that knowledge. So, speaking of our Asgardian advisor, shall we bring in Gene Hendrix? Yeah, let's see how they did. So, Gene Hendricks is our friend of the show and, uh, Podcaster Gene, Gene, the podcasting machine. Uh, he is at the hammer strikes. He has a class 1000 uh, RPG uh, podcast. He has the vault of startling monster horror, I think. And, and, you know, he should, you should definitely go look at his shows up. Um, he says, this is more like it. All right. There are several things we know about Heimdall from the lore, his parentage, his powers, and his job among them. One of the things that we don't know, however, is how he was chosen to be the watchman of the gods. And the way it's presented here works perfectly well with the Norse worldview. Even their kings were chosen based on merit, not necessarily heredity. And I really like how this fills in that gap. So he's kind of in line with you there. Like, this may be a story they made up, but it feels right. Yeah, good. He finishes by saying, I'm a little bit puzzled by the trolls doing the labor, though. Um, I think the trolls who were laboring to fix the the city after the attack. Mm -hmm. He says, they look more like dwarves to me. And that would fit more with what we know of the gods, of whom the gods used for labor. But that is only one word in the whole story, though. So I think this is really good. Good. And, Uh, you know, it's entirely possible that Jack Kirby was thinking dwarves when he drew this. And Lee didn't know better.
0: Yeah, they do look like dwarves. So Mm -hmm. you never know.
1: Well, they have more beards. They need more beard for dwarves. And certainly Odin has a lot of beard to spare, so maybe they should just take some of his beard.
0: So my only other thought on this, or question really, and we've talked about this before, is I still don't quite get how Asgard works in terms of gods and not gods and things like that. And by the way, in the first Thor book, in the first Thor story we covered tonight, like five seconds ago, they straight up call a... Uh, 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 Enchantress and what's his face? Demigods, which we were wondering oh. about. We were wondering about last time, last issue. Like, are they gods or are they not gods? Well, they're demigods, whatever that means. Um, so, like,
1: I I thought demigods meant like semi-gods, like half human, half god. But I'm looking at the term now. Okay.
0: Well, while you do that, you let, me, let me ramble. Um, yeah. So, like, Hendel has all these awesome powers, and Thor has awesome powers outside of his hammer even like i don't feel like every asgardian can lift 100 tons like thor can right uh, and some people have powers and then i gotta imagine that some people are just like plumbers or something so are the people that are plumbers do they worship odin or is he just like a fellow asgardian i mean he's their king obviously but they're all asgardians so they're not really like a god to them are they or if they are how are they born are they like is Hemda like a mutant of an Of Asgard? Is that what gods are? Like mutants or something? You know, like I don't get how it works.
1: Yeah, I would think that the only reason we call the Norse gods gods is because that's how mortals see them. Right. I don't think any of them are gods to each other.
0: Okay. So But they're not all equal in ability either.
1: No, but then they're people in in Earth are not all equal in ability. So you have you have this like other basically other and this is just me the way I see it. It's not necessarily right. But there's other dimension Mm -hmm. where Asgard exists and different, you know, other realms exist. And so you have farmers, shepherds, you know, troll dwarves who are doing your labor for you. Um, People who keep the divine apples of immortality. Loki, uh, you know, enchantress with all of her sexy lounge pillows. And they're just hanging out living their lives Uh in a society and system that doesn't require like industry and commerce and all of that jazz. So they're just kind of out there living in fantasy world and some of them have, you know, extra power. And, and your question of does that mean that, like Odin is a mutant among his people because does little Gertrude, the the 17th daughter of, of, you know, whatever Asgardian farmer, does she have superpowers? I don't know. Is she immortal? I mean, does she, she lasts that long.
0: They're not immortal, right. but they live forever, you know. Or is that just something that Odin gives out to his favorites or something? You know, because I think they have to eat something to live forever, don't they? I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's just well, yeah, all they, they just do kind have of to eat those apples to live forever.
0: Yeah, so it's just like how come Heimdall can see and hear everything, you know? And he's an Asgardian, and uh, you know, Enchantress is an Asgardian, but she can't see and hear everything.
1: Right. Thor can't I thought it was interesting that Heimdall has that ability that's not given to him by Odin; he just has that ability.
0: Yeah, but is Thor's powers given to him by Odin?
1: I think his might... His hammer is, maybe. Right. Does he have... He has, like, you know, the God of Thunder power without the hammer. The hammer is just like a weapon for him to, like, fight with.
0: Right. And he's also incredibly strong, and most of the Asgardians aren't as strong as he is, as far as I've noticed.
1: Right. And the hammer has other magical abilities, but it's not the source of his, like, God of Thunder power. No. Um, To answer the question before, demigod can be used for both someone of lesser divine status, and someone of like partial divine status. So Hercules, who's part mortal, part god, is a demigod, but also gods who are considered lesser in status can be called demigods. So who... Enchantress and Execution were okay. called demigods, and that okay. sounds right to me.
0: Okay, I was going to say, who called them that? Luckily, it was a caption, so we can mm-hmm. still go by your idea that they don't think of themselves as gods. Because if it was Loki calling them demigods or something, that'd be weird.
1: Might be, yeah, yeah.
0: Except Loki probably thinks of himself as a god. Well, so does Thor, for that matter, when he's on Earth.
1: That's what he says.
0: Yeah, but I I guess they don't say that to, you know, the Gardener, but he probably does get respect from the Gardener because he's still the prince of the king, or the son of the king. Right, all-father Odin. It's still a monarchy on Asgard, and also they rely on his awesome power to protect them. So, yeah, I don't know. I've never read a lot of solo Thor comics. Maybe they address this someday. Maybe they never do. I don't know. I don't get it. Whatever. They're mutants.
1: (laughs) Mutant gods. Yeah. So you have the X-Men number five, which has a new cover, a a new corner box.
0: Oh yeah, it does. kind of cute. Sort of.
1: I like Iceman throwing all those snowballs. It's fun.
0: Okay. So we're still on March 3rd. Yes. Um, and, and, and spellbinding story by Stanley dazzling Lee. Oh man. I hate that word dazzling drawing. i yep. keep trying to say dazzling Lee dazzling drawing by Jack Kirby inking Paul Reinman, lettering S Rosen, man. Those two got those two uh, job professions got the shaft on this episode. I should point out now, by the way, that every single story we're covering tonight is Stanley Jack Kirby.
1: Oh yeah. And I was going to look up see when that last happened.
0: Probably Fantastic Four number one. No. It could be. It
1: could be the the Hulk.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. As
1: soon as Spider-Man started showing. Well, you know, as soon as the monthlies started up, we had other creators doing stuff. Other writers on on Thor. Other artists on Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, he bailed on Ant-Man pretty quick, too, if I remember. Yeah. And Iron Man. Okay. So, speaking of a continued story, this continues right Mm -hmm. off of uh, X-Men number four. Where I can actually remember this one kind of. Magneto and his people like try to take over an entire island. They tried to stop him. He plants two bombs. They successfully stop one. The other one, unfortunately, was stopped by Professor X and he got hurt and he lost all his brain power. So now they're he- heading home. They're wheeling their boring, normal human brained uh, leader back home. They put him in a chair. They're all freaked out. Like now they have nobody to teach them or lead them because apparently if he has no telepathy, he's not smart or wise anymore either um just then Jean Grey's parents knock on the door and she's like oh shoot with all this whole saving a country thing i forgot they were coming over so they do this whole big you know uh put on their super outfits backwards thing kind of cool put on their civvies real fast instead and they pretend that they're just a regular school at some point some shenanigans happen where like cyclops gets stuck in the danger room and has to like Fight the uh, the beast program, which is he's not used to, but he manages to get through it because he's Cyclops and has a lot of power. And none for wiser, they just leave. So that's that plot point. Um, as they leave, though, we see that Mastermind's kind of walking around their neighborhood looking for the X Men. He doesn't really find them though, so he gets picked up. They rendezvous back at Magneto headquarters, which is now a an asteroid floating in space with this cool metal stuff all over it. Um, they get into some brotherhood of evil mutant fights, uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are quickly, eh, they kind of always have been, but they're definitely not really into Magneto being like this master of evil. I'm going to kill a lot of people guy, but he keeps like sort of guilting them into staying because he saved their life. Blah, blah, blah. That one time. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, he says, I have this awesome plan and I need Toad, dot, dot, dot. We don't know what the plan is. But we cut to the X-Men watching TV and they're watching the Olympics or some sort of track meet, just a track meet maybe. And they see that this one kid is winning every competition by leaping really good. And then they see on the same TV, because it's a live thing, that a mob of humans start throwing bricks at him and stuff for cheating and everything. So the X-Men go into X-Men mode. They're like, hey, we have to save that mute. So they go snatch him up. They end up, like, running from the mob with him. They get on a subway. And then they suddenly realize they know a mutant whose power it is to jump really high. It's – you're the Toad, aren't you? And they pull off, like, his mask a la Mission Impossible style. And it is the Toad. It's not a teenage kid. So the Toad runs away. And they try and catch him. But just then the trap is revealed because the whole time they were just – they're using Toad to get the X-Men to show up. And then Magneto, like – splits apart a metal clock and turns it into, um, you know, bars that catch the Angel. And Mastermind and all the others try and beat the other X-Men, but to no avail. Except the Brotherhood does get away with the Angel. So... uh, 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 What happens? Oh yeah, so then Magneto puts the Angel in this, like, torture room which Wanda really doesn't like. And he tries to get Angel to reveal where they live, but he won't do it. So he has, like, this sound machine and Crazy lights and stuff and trying to make him go crazy. Meanwhile, Toad suddenly is like in this weird trance. He got left behind, obviously. And he's like, must get back to Master. Must find Magneto. And like he doesn't even notice that the X-Men are all like standing around him. He just wants to get back. So they're like, hey, let's be real quiet and we'll just follow him. And he'll like lead us back to Magneto. He doesn't even know we're here. So that works. Uh, Toad calls for a ship. The ship comes down. They all get in it. Toad still doesn't even notice they're there. It leads it back to the asteroid. Uh, The door opened. Mastermind's like just sitting there smoking a cigarette like, hey, welcome back. And then the beast like kicks them both in the face and knocks them out. Um, And so now the X-Men are in the base and they try and raid it. But Magneto has like this cool like a Cerebro device that he puts on his head and it lets him – amplify his power to the point where like the entire metal ship comes to life and starts attacking the X-Men but they use their powers to stop it and then um, at some point oh then Magneto makes a big mistake he decides well if I can't beat him with my awesome ship I'm just gonna press this button and it's gonna close the door and they're gonna get sucked out into space and Scarlet Witch doesn't like that she's like hey I didn't sign on for killing especially fellow mutants And Magneto's like – and so she hexes his machine and breaks it. Now Magneto's mad and he's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. But, of course, that's never good to threaten Scarlet Witch when Quicksilver's around. So now he steps in between. So now Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are against Magneto. So now they're kind of fighting. But then the X-Men show up and break up that fight. So then everybody starts fighting everybody, Magneto and Quicksilver and Cyclops, Um Mastermind. They're all fighting. Big fight, fight, fight. And then this is where I get a little confused. It kind of reminds me of that Fantastic Four issue we covered recently where, like, I don't get what happens in the end, kind of. But
1: So the asteroid starts breaking apart.
0: The asteroid starts breaking apart. I get that. But Cyclops falls into, like, a, he's either in a room or he's in space or in the asteroid. I don't know where he is, but somehow Iceman makes, like, a little ice tunnel to get to him and Angel flies them out. And they get on a uh, uh, escape pod, which takes them back home miraculously. And then the escape pod goes back to pick up Magneto and his people. And they're like, huh, well, that was weird. And then they go home. And it turns out Professor X the entire time was fine. He just wanted to see if they could be X-Men without him. And since they could, he announces that they have officially passed as students. And they are now full-fledged X-Men the end
1: yeah which kind of like takes the entire concept of the book and says yeah so we're done with that now
0: yeah um except i bet they continue to do what they've been doing so what's the difference
1: so there's a story of my wife's brother Uh who um when he was really young like i don't know five or six they were in a store let's say target and they look around and suddenly gabriel's not there uh-huh. And they start to freak out, and they're looking for Gabriel, and they hear over the intercom, could the parents of Alexander please come to the courtesy desk? And they're like, Alexander? So they go up to the front, and there's Gabriel with a big old smile on his face. Yeah. Uh, you know, after they talk to the front, like, thank you so much for finding our boy. Like, Gabriel, why did you tell them your name was Alexander? And he's like, I was just tricking him.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Which makes me feel like a Professor Xavier at the end of the story. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was just tricking you. Just, you know, you thought I was near death and comatose. And remember how you, like, turned me on my side and treated me like a, like an invalid, like I was, you know, quadriplegic? Kind of like you did in the first issue. But um, this time it's because you thought I was, you know, really, really badly off. No, just, just tricking you.
0: I wonder if the Mike Kaiser and John Wilson of 1964 wrote in and were like, it's lame how Professor X saves them all the time. So they're like, let's write a story where he doesn't save them.
1: Oh, I like moving away from him saving them. Yeah. I just think that this is, I mean, from a Professor Xavier standpoint, this is a real asshole move.
0: Oh, it's totally in character. This is why he's horrible and nobody likes him.
1: I think this is like the first significantly bad thing he's done. Well, okay. To well, the X-Men. Because he's, he's like taking over people's minds and stuff.
0: He's been a freaking creep all five issues in my opinion. Like yeah. he just comes off weird. He has not come off as a father figure to me. He comes up mm-hmm. with this weirdo dude who has this agenda and he's using these kids to make it happen. And he's always giving them demerits for not making his agenda happen. And yeah, he's just a psycho. Don't like him so far anyway.
1: And these kids live with him, right? Yeah. So why is it weird that they see him sleeping?
0: They said it's weird to see him sleeping with a, and he looks so normal now. He looks like a homo sapien. So yeah. that, that's not racist. Thanks.
1: Well, yeah, there's that. But also, like, you've seen him. Surely, you when you're living with somebody, you see them sleeping sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It happens, it's, it's right? It's just like bad dialogue to make drama.
1: I guess. Um, I really like the opening splash page. Oh, yeah. It's cool. There's some really good figure work. Cyclops looks fantastic. Uh-huh. Beast looks interesting. And, you know... Iceman is a little stiff, but even Angel and Jean in the background, they both look interesting. I
0: like, I think, I don't know if this is the first time, but every once in a while, like Dave Cockrum in particular used to do this, like make Cyclops' visor wide enough where you could see these two glowing red eyes. Mm -hmm. And they did that on this splash, which is neat. I don't know if they've done that before. looks cool to me.
1: I feel like the visor is, like, barely translucent because it's keeping the red blasts within. Mm -hmm. But, like, this is what the visor looks like. it's, It's a shield, and there are these huge energy blasts just waiting to radiate out. Yeah, his eyes are always red or whatever. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants is less Brotherhood and more Evil Mutants. Like, they hardly use the word Brotherhood at all in this issue. It's all about the Evil Mutants. Magneto's Evil Mutants, Return of the Evil Mutants. It's like Evil Mutants is the team name. The evil mutants.
0: Do they call them? Well, and remember Angel was looking for the evil mutants when he went evil?
1: Oh, yeah, he was looking for the evil mutants. This is the team he was looking for.
0: Do they call themselves anything, or is that just what captions call them?
1: Um, that's a good question. I know that Magneto never uses the word evil mutants in this and did not pay attention to other people.
0: Because they really shouldn't call themselves evil mutants. That really wrecks the whole vibe of their agenda, in a way. We're evil, and we know it. right even though um, how could they not know it but anyway so what do you so, think of what do you think of the whole parents thing that kind of went nowhere sadly cuz i thought it'd be cool if it went somewhere yeah, it just but it didn't
1: seems like something to do because mm-hmm. they show up and the only things that happen as a result are everyone dashes into civvies and Cyclops gets trapped in the danger room. And those are the only things that happen as a result of the parents being there.
0: Now, we do learn, though, that they are not aware of what this school really is. So They're
1: not aware of the school. And they're not aware of Jean's powers.
0: So we are establishing, whereas before, like in, say, issue two, where it seemed like they were going to make X-Men just kind of superhero-y and liked, we're starting to establish here now that, you know, even amongst their family and loved ones, that they're not outing themselves and their freak abilities, you know?
1: So no one knows that this school for kids and the X-Men are the same thing.
0: They don't even know their daughter is immune. It's a secret.
1: And that's weird. This is, okay. Um, one of the things I've been trying to keep an eye out for in my own X-Men read through, which, by the way, is up to the um, you know, early months of 1993 at this point, One of the things I've been looking for is how Gene's backstory gets developed. And the weird thing is that it doesn't. But there are, like, lots of instances where they just show that she's with Xavier at time periods where she shouldn't be with Xavier yet. Mm. And so you don't really know the shape of that narrative. It's just stuff that's there. So, you know, in movies like X3, you get this concept of, you know, she had her powers. They were causing problems. Her parents reached out for help. Xavier came. All this other stuff. Mm -hmm. But here... Her parents don't know she has powers. And I don't know of any instance where her parents would know she had powers. And they do come to visit again after she becomes Phoenix. And at that time, she tells them she's Phoenix. And, you know, I don't. I wish I knew all of their retcons of Jean Grey's backstory and what that shape is supposed to look like right now.
0: Um, I'm completely making this up. But what if they uh-huh. what if they did know she had powers and then some jerky professor took that away from them?
1: Like he does with Hank, because Hank McCoy's parents did find out about him, and Hank McCoy actually bemoans the fact at one point that his parents were made to forget.
0: Yep. I could see that. To keep his little secret base.
1: Keep his little school secret. Yeah.
0: But it's just interesting cause this scene, like otherwise otherwise it doesn't really accomplish much, but it kind of does Accomplish the whole, like, you know, mutants are not a great thing because we haven't had a lot of that yet.
1: Yeah, that hasn't really happened a lot yet because the X-Men have been loved. The X-Men have been embraced. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, this issue might present our first hints of resentment towards mutants with the Toad winning all the races and people starting to realize that that's, that's oh, unusual yeah. that be happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think we've had any public outcry against mutants before this.
0: No, just love. They were like all yeah. hounding angel and stuff because he was hot and everything.
1: People seem to sometimes know what a mutant is because when they tell the blob he's homo superior, he's like, oh, that makes sense.
0: Even th- Well, even in this, like, you know, the scene where they're all hurrying up to dress in their normal civvies, like pretty much all of them kind of not complain necessarily. Some of them complain, but they all like have to talk about how they're. Kind of suffering with these mutant powers. So,
1: right. And we get some neat notes there, just little bits of dialogue. Like from Beast, he says, I'm always relieved when I can divest myself of my costume. I don't actually really care for the identity of the Beast. Yeah. I much prefer being Hank McCoy Honor Student. And that is a note that underlies Beast's character forever. Uh huh. It doesn't always get brought up, but it's always there in the background and occasionally surfaces.
0: Yeah. Which is interesting too, because I don't know. Like for me, the Beast isn't often an active member of the X Men. He's there a lot, mm-hmm. but he doesn't want to be that guy. Maybe.
1: Well, see, whenever the team splits up, he goes and joins the Avengers. And I think well, he has too. a lot more fun being an Avenger than he ever did being an X Man. And when he comes back on the X Men, like I'm at this point right now in my reading where he's like wanting to have this conversation with Xavier about how much he's kind of bemoaning their lot in life. And he's not getting a chance to have that conversation. But at the point where I'm in, my reading in spring of '93. He's not happy with his role right now.
0: Yeah, and at some point he just gets like relegated to lab work. I feel like, but
1: yeah, there's that stuff. Yeah, I've I've read a few stories from the 2000s where he is just the grumpy lab guy. Yeah, and of course that's after things like the legacy viruses that I just haven't read. But I know that like he does bad things. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I know.
0: <laughs> but speaking of beast, though, and this kind of pointless scene and it is is kind of pointless but i do like how like cyclops had to get through the danger room set to beast mode that was kind of fun
1: yeah okay but you know what though you know what's not fun Uh. you walk into the room and the door closes and (laughs) suddenly it's like you're in a a bank vault it's not opening again till the morning this will not open again till the cycle has run its course and they need to fix this
0: you'd think he should just blast the door open but actually that'd be a bad move because then missiles (laughs) would get out but uh yeah, they just close it on him, and suddenly it's, it's like missiles and floors moving and everything. Good thing he was a mutant in there, not like her mom.
1: Right? Right. Yeah. And, you know, we were mentioning Cyclops, and uh, he had that other moment about how, you know, his cursed, cursed eyes.
0: Uh huh. I wonder if yeah, anyone yeah. would
1: dare come near quiet Scott Summers if they knew that when I remove my protective glasses, the destructive power beam of Cyclops is unleashed upon the world. Mm uh-huh. hmm. Which we just recorded our X-Men discussion tonight. That was a cool moment in the movie when the visor gets knocked off yeah. and his eye blasts go wild for a second.
0: And then her mom's like, oh, those are cute sunglasses. Let me rip them off your face.
1: Ryan's right. like, no, I don't want to kill you. <laughs> it's like, who does that? Who
0: reaches out and grabs people's sunglasses off their face? Come on, mom. That's guess, weird. Right? That's weird.
1: Um, um, just go ahead. not to re- rehash other things, but just, you know, part of that conversation about the interestingness of the school is that they weren't going to bring Jean Grey here. But then Washington recommended it to them. Oh, really? Did they say that? Oh, they do say that. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, because we are going to get the idea of Xavier having a contact in Washington. I don't know if they mentioned Fred Duncan or not yet. I feel like they have, but I don't remember it.
0: Well, he um, he worked with Washington in issue two.
1: Yeah, yeah. Fred, that must be where Fred Duncan was. Yeah, because I think we've talked about that. Um, so either Washington actually is recommending students to Xavier's, which is kind of weird, or... Or B, Xavier made them think that.
0: Well, the A may not be weird if they Washington somehow knows she's a mutant. And then that's like the best place for her. Yeah. I don't know, but so I don't maybe know. Maybe Xavier how they would know tells
1: that. them please write a recommendation letter to the uh-huh. person.
0: Maybe, yeah. I don't know.
1: Of course he wouldn't have to ask nice, he could just make them do it. Of course,
0: if I got a letter of recommendation from Washington DC asking me to send my child to this school, I'd be highly suspicious about something.
1: But that's just me. Yeah, well this is pre Watergate. You know, yeah, I guess Kennedy was still Still seems random Well, as I was gonna say, Kennedy was still present whenever this was written But this is March of 1964 He might have just died when this was written
0: I'm surprised we haven't had any reference to that yet
1: Uh, Yeah, this would be the beginning of the co- uh, You know, just right at the time when comics could be written and published after that happened
0: mm-hmm. So we probably will
1: We might Definitely not going to get him in the pictures anymore Which we've had before We've had him in the comics before um, asteroid M.
0: Yeah, he's upped his game.
1: Yes. And there are, like, a lot of Asteroids M. We've had at least five <laughs> Asteroids M over the years. This one, you know, dies at the end of this issue. But he likes that idea of having an asteroid at ha- headquarters in space. And he's going to make that happen again in the future.
0: Seems really difficult. But, uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it's not just iron. It's, like, rock and stuff, right?
0: Well, and... How do you create air and, uh, 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 you know, gravity just because you have, you know, mastery over metal? Right. Seems like a lot of work. Like, I'd rather just make an underground bunker or something.
1: Yeah, or like a really vast complex in the Antarctic.
0: Or how about I'll have a floating building or something. That's fine, too. Right. Way up in the sky that nobody can find, but at least it's still in Earth's atmosphere.
1: Atmosphere and gravity are kind of important. Yeah. Anyway. And he is kind of out of range of those things. Comics. I mean, not out of range of ra- gravity, because you're never technically out of the range of gravity, but I think he's far enough in the air where gravity would become a concern. Seems like it. Um, gravity so plates. So Magneto. Yeah? Or Mastermind, rather. Mastermind is the kind of jerk who lies about stupid, mundane things just to make himself look better, but it's also easy to tell when he's lying. He like gets picked up by Quicksilver, he's like, take me back to headquarters, Quicksilver. I have decided to return. <laughs> Yeah, and Quicksilver's like, no, you didn't. Magneto told you to return. You're lying.
0: Yeah. I think Magneto needs to, like, have a roster change
1: quickly. Get rid of Mastermind? Get rid of all these mutants?
0: Well, I mean, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are pretty awesome if he could get them co-op- to cooperate, but he won't be able to. And Toad is just pretty horrible. And Mastermind, I don't know, his power <laughs> actually is kind of cool, I guess, if you think about it. But he's a uh, definitely an out-for-himself kind of guy. So, I don't know.
1: yeah. Uh, speaking of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. so they don't get a whole lot to shine in this. Just towards but, the end, um, really, right? And the 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 little bits that happen between them and Magneto—they are, you know, contesting his authority. Um, they don't want to kill, so their conscience is, you know, definitely playing a part in this. Um, I think it's great that Wanda is the one who jeopardizes Magneto's plans. Uh Uh-huh. Last issue, Quicksilver, like, behind Magneto's back, he runs into the base and disables the bombs and runs back out again. Yeah. And this one, like, in Magneto's face, Wanda's like, no, you're not doing this. You're not killing these people. And she, you know, hexes the electronics. And... Although the story doesn't directly draw this line, it it's probably easy to assume that the messing up of the electronics that Wanda does is what causes the entire asteroid to break up later. Like, she basically botched Magneto's whole plan.
0: Yeah. I mean, between the two of them, Wanda has to make the decision, ultimately. Because we know that Quicksilver will just stand by his sister and do whatever she thinks is best.
1: Oh, you're right. It really is up to Wanda.
0: He will, he will never be like, I'm done with you, Magneto. I'm standing up to you. Because if his sister's down with Magneto, then he's going to stay. So Mm -hmm. she has to be the one to ultimately, right in his face, break that computer so that he can't kill Cyclops and go from there.
1: And they're only staying with him because...
0: Guilt. They're Catholic, I guess. I don't know.
1: Well, okay. So they did have an actual traumatic experience Uh where Wanda was being persecuted and almost lynched by a village mob. Yes. And Magneto did save them from that event. So now he's using that actual event and the fear of anything like that recurring to keep them in line. He's like, remember, the humans are your sworn enemies. They would destroy you if they could. And Pietro's like, we remember. You never let us forget that.
0: (laughs) Never, he says with two exclamation points. Um, Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's very cool that Magneto saved them from a mob of humans. Except when you start thinking about it, it's like he probably only did it to gain their favor in the first place and guilt them into working for him. So he wasn't doing it to save his fellow mutants. He was doing it to get team.
1: Right. And now he's using like a, you know, a logic that makes just enough sense to maybe be believable. It's like the humans would destroy you. We need to stop the humans. The X-Men are in our way. So we need to stop the X Men. That's why you have to fight for me against the X Men.
0: Never mind that anybody who gets in his way will also be destroyed. So essentially, he's just as dangerous as any human you're going to come across, if not more, because he has power. Yeah. But that's okay. I wouldn't um, want to work for him.
1: No, I wouldn't either. I- I'm sure that the Magneto, you know, benefits package is is not that great. You know, free insults with every 401k deduction.
0: I think I was gonna. If I was gonna be an evil mutant and not like humans, I'd go the Blob route. I think it's nice to just stay independent. be a jerk when you can and otherwise stay under the radar
1: there's some weird storytelling structure with the with the race that the toad is on like they're watching it on tv Uh live and they're watching their race happen live yeah and they watch toad get in trouble with a mob live and they decide to go help him Uh uh-huh and i don't know how long it takes them to get there. But even if the school is like right there in the same part of town, yeah, they have to get dressed and get in their car and drive over there. But it is literally the very next second. Uh-huh. Like we saw him start to get chased by a mob. And then when they get there, he is in the process of getting chased by that mob.
0: Yeah. The time is a little all over the, err skewed, a I guess. Too condensed. Yeah. Too condensed. Yeah.
1: But they get there in their car. They drive in, but they're like, well, we can't drive back out, which makes not a whole lot of sense. So they run through town and they find a subway station. So, you know, they're in the northern parts of the county that New York City's in. So the I guess the subways go up this far. But the weird thing is, is they don't go to Xavier's. They go down into downtown New York City.
0: Yeah, they're not in the country where Xavier is. Yeah,
1: They're they're not in, you know, Westchester County, a bit north of the city anymore. They drive down into the city. They get off at Grand Central Terminal.
0: Well, okay, so we could say, if we want to make this work, that they just jumped on any train that was coming by because they were being chased. And then Toad is the one who leapt out into Grand Central when they unmasked him. So it was his job to get them to be there.
1: Yeah, maybe the first train that came by was an express train.
0: So he was supposed to lead them there. So they're basically following his lead because he jumped in the train first, and then right. he jumped out of the train first. So I guess it was Magneto's idea to lure them to Grand Central, which I don't know if that's a great idea. But
1: yeah, because I was really how Magneto knew to meet them there.
0: Well, that was his whole plan: is to get Toad to bring them because they couldn't.
1: Okay, so Toad's existence is to lure the X Men
0: because they couldn't find him. Remember, what's his name? Master Man's walking around. I can't find him. Where are they? I don't know. So, he's like, I'll use Toad. And his plan for Toad was to make Toad be on television. So, that's another part of this timeline that's weird. So, he signed up Toad as a student or something to get him to qualify for these races. All this in like three seconds.
1: I guess that's what it says. Not long afterwards. I'm thinking kind of long afterwards.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like uh, his entire freshman year later. (laughs) Except that that Xavier is still like unconscious and – or no, he, now he's in his chair, but he's not really talking or anything.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't I seem like it's
0: been that long.
1: So they could have spent a while. You know what? You know what? This is when Strange Tales 120 happens. Okay. They're just chilling out at school because, you know, whatever. And Toad's having to take, like, algebra um, to to qualify for this track meet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bobby goes and has, has a cruise. And Xavier doesn't use his powers in that story. So that just happens right here.
0: I do like this bit where... With a wave of his hand, like the entire clock just disassembles and turns into a cage and he like snatches Angel out of the sky. Like that was very X-Men movie for me.
1: Yeah. I like that That part. was a really, really neat move. Yeah. Um, I do take umbrage at Stan's narration on page 14, the fourth panel. He says, but there are still more evil mutants to contend with, such as a Scarlet Witch who directs her incredible hex power. I'm like, okay. The whole point of your story that you're telling <laughs> with Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver yeah. is that they're not evil. Yep. But then it goes back to the idea of evil mutants just being the team name. There are more Pittsburgh Steelers to deal with, so Yeah. Or or whatever it is. This is this is who these people are.
0: Yep. But they don't say that at least that I've noticed. No, just just the narration. Just stand in the covers.
1: And so what is up with Toad? Like, Magneto doesn't give two craps about him. Mm -hmm. They leave him behind. But then, like, he gets in a hypnosis trance with the pod.
0: So they don't say it. But even as I was reading it, I thought, is this Professor X? You know? And they never, like, they never admit to it. So I guess it's not. But my headcanon is, even though he says, good job, guys. You did it all by yourself. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. He did have to throw him a little bone. And, like, put Toad into a trance to get him to lead him to where Magneto was. He was following the entire time.
1: he has a hidden magnetic communicator under his sock. He contacts Magneto with it. Can you imagine Magneto's up on the asteroid? Deet deet. Magneto, there's a a coal coming in. What is it, mastermind? There's a coal coming in from Toad. He's ready to come back.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. Fine.
1: Send the pod.
0: Yeah. And you, part, right. and you partly think, like, wow, that's a lot of resources just to go get a guy and bring him back to the asteroid. But they continually say, like, all these uh, vessels are silent because they're just run on magnetism. Right. So that's actually kind of cool. Like, there's no fuel involved. He's just using his magnetic power to
1: bring them up and down, I guess. Which is pretty neat. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Um, so... We get to the fight up on the, up on the the asteroid, and there's some pretty great stuff here. Magneto is using his um, magnetic intensifier. We saw him use back at the... Uh, was it the first issue or the island issue where he used the magnetic... I think it was the first issue. But he increases his magnetic power so he can instantly control any metal portion of the asteroid. Uh-huh. Which, which is pretty
0: great. I feel like he can just do that now on his own, but yeah, back then. Well, yeah,
1: because... so. Part of the thing with Magneto is that between the Silver Age and the Bronze Age, he gets de-aged to a baby and then re-aged back to a younger, stronger, more powerful version of himself. Mm. So, like, Chris Claremont's Magneto is a lot more powerful than Silver Age Magneto. Right. Because of that whole process. Um, But you know that that little part down there where the metal, like, grabs Cyclops and it starts grabbing at Gene? Uh Uh-huh. You know what that last panel reminded me of? What? Superman 3. Oh, yeah. Remember at the end of Superman 3 where the lady gets eaten by the robot and uh-huh. turned into a robot? That scared me yeah.
0: so hard. Dude. I was creeped the, out by that.
1: That's the only thing I knew about that movie for like a lot of years was that scene. I'm like, oh my God. That
0: scared me so bad.
1: And it lasts forever when you're eight. When
0: does like When did that movie come out? Superman 3.
1: 1982 or 3?
0: 1983. Okay. So I was like, yeah, I was a good age to be scared. Like eight.
1: I mean, I saw it as an adult, and the whole thing is like one and a half seconds. But, yeah. like, oh my gosh, it was such a huge thing when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. So Gene Gray happily does not get turned into a non-brainiac.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. The fight was cool. And, I mean, I like, uh, I definitely like the bit where, where uh, Quicksilver stands in the way. That was cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She. She wrecks his devices. Mm-hmm. But then she says in the first panel, of the next page, be careful. I fear we're still no match for him. So she does this knowing that Magneto might kill them. She is such a queen.
0: Yeah. and yeah, I don't know. And I feel Quicks- like Quicksilver, Quicksilver could do something. I don't know.
1: He could. He could. He could. Certainly but,
0: uh, Certainly, uh, 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 X-Men movie Quicksilver could do something.
1: Yeah. Well, I feel like part of, part of their characterization here is the fact that they're young and naïve.
0: Yeah, and Quicksilver has never – I mean, I shouldn't say never because I haven't read every Quicksilver, but he's never been like that kind of speedster somehow. He doesn't do the DC stuff. He's like a Marvel speedster. They just run fast. They don't –
1: He literally just runs fast. He does not have any like magical powers because of running fast.
0: And he doesn't have this whole like time perception like everybody – like he could live five hours in a minute kind of thing, you know, like Flash does sometimes or –
1: yeah. They occasionally talk about that kind of perception, like everything is just moving so slowly around him. Uh-huh. There's that one issue of X-Factor with the therapy sessions. Uh-huh. He, Rick he kind of talks about that.
0: Yeah, he's bored.
1: Yeah, but most of the time it's just like, it's just things like, yeah, like he's so intensely bored with life because he's so fast. It's, um, it's like
0: he, okay, so there's Avengers Quicksilver and there's X-Men Quicksilver, right? Mm-hmm. I always perceive Quicksilver more like how he was in Avengers. He runs, yeah. he runs around really fast, but he still got shot by a bullet. And he still didn't see like the ground underneath him breaking up when Hawkeye shot an arrow through it and stuff like that. Whereas X-Men Quicksilver reminds me much more of like the flash where he could just walk around and everybody's frozen and kind of poke at their cheeks and stuff
1: when he's like in the speed force and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the comics probably do different takes depending on what the writer's feeling like that day. But you're right. Silver Rage Quicksilver is very much like the Avengers Quicksilver. He just goes fast. Yeah. Um, So, like you said, the ending starts to fall apart a bit. The ice bridge makes very little sense. But you mentioned gravity and atmosphere. And I feel like the ice bridge is an attempt to show that, well, in this tube, there's atmosphere because Angel has to fly through it.
0: I just feel like the art doesn't match the dialogue or it's one of those scenes where the dialogue is desperately trying to translate art. It doesn't understand or something. Yeah. Because like it's got a picture of Cyclops being thrown into what looks like a room to me. And then we don't see Cyclops again for like five panels. And I don't know where he is. Is he in the rock? Is he in a room? Because it looks like they're dealing with rock, but I don't see Cyclops anywhere. And then suddenly uh, Angel has Cyclops. He flew into the ice tunnel and comes out with Cyclops. Where did that – where was he? I don't know. I don't get that part.
1: Yeah, I don't either, unless they're in, are they in different sections of, like, the bottom left of page 23 is kind of breaking into two sections. Mm. Is Cyclops getting thrown out of one section, meanwhile they're in another section?
0: That's probably what's going on. It just looks. Maybe.
1: Yeah. It's not very well defined.
0: Yeah, it's like they just, I don't know, I just wrote it off as they had to get him and they got him. And there was an ice tunnel. Yeah. And then, of course, the whole, like, the ship let's takes them and drops them gently off back at the pier even though like why would it do that and that kind of stuff was a little too easy like getting off of getting off of asteroid m seems like it should be a lot harder
1: yeah it's a magnetically powered escape ship but i don't think it's actually powered by magneto i think it's powered by magnetic technology he's created okay but which is a, yeah. a little bit weird
0: yeah i mean still why would it cooperate with him who knows
1: it's like it's going from somebody who has magnetic powers to somebody who's creating a, a Mega Man level based on magnetics. I mean, they
0: say it's rising again by remote control. Magneto and his mutants must still be up there. So they're remote controlling it, but they let it deliver them first. Mm. Yeah, that's <laughs> weird. It's just, it was just an easy ending, I guess. They ran out of space.
1: But we talked about it a little bit before, and I'm just like, Xavier, what the actual frog are you doing? Yeah, remember this is a school,
0: and you can't graduate from any school without passing your final exam. Well, you've all just taken your final exam, just as I planned. Ha 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 ha, life. I feel
1: like the kids are suitably floored by this. Yeah? And Beast is like, you mean you have your mental power back? Like, I never lost it. And class is like, but why, sir? Like, what were you thinking? <laughs> I had this pipe. It's amazing. Have you ever tried it and, as a school?
0: And what do you mean? Just as I planned you seriously, did you plan them to attack us and almost kill us and stuff? That seems really horrible, but
1: well, see, that's the thing. If you go back and read how it actually happens at the end of four, mm-hmm. like he throws himself into a blast that would have killed or at least seriously hurt the X-Men. Like he legitimately throws himself into getting injured.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: To save the kids.
0: I don't. Do you feel like maybe this, in addition to saving Cyclops and how they got back off of Asteroid M, is all just a big wrap up because they couldn't think of anything else? Oh. Like, should we? They're like, we should have more ideas for this whole, like, non powered Professor X, but eh, let's just give him his stuff back. Got other things to do. Maybe. Maybe. It's possible. Seems really wrapped up. But they can't go more than one issue without wrapping things up, so. That's their thing in Marvel I mean well except for yeah. except for Thor now I guess kind of
1: but even Thor is just I, I as I was kind of careful with my phrasing he's not doing a continued story Mm-mm. he's just picking up the action from the previous issue yeah so like then the narrative is continuing through four issues in Thor and maybe more because I I forget if 105 picks up right after or if there's a you know gap in story um but it's not like it's a continued story this is we we I other than the Betty Brant subplot, which is, again, a, just a subplot, we have not had a continued story for more than two issues.
0: I would kill for a subplot that lasts more than two issues. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so we've had Betty. That was pretty fun. But otherwise, they sure love to wrap things up. They set up something that's really cool. Oh, Jane Foster quit. She's leaving. Oh, my gosh. The drama. And then it's like, oh, I'm back. Oh, okay. Well, that was a lot of effort. <laughs> You know, nowadays that's a whole trade paperback. Right. Come on, Jane Foster leaves. <laughs> the quitting of Jane Foster.
1: Yes. <laughs> I can't quit you, Don.
0: <laughs> well, that's it though. Right. That's three issues, and that was that was about an hour and a half ish. So I I gave my promise for episode fifty. That's how we celebrated it.
1: You know, and, and it was a, got got some Scarlet Witch talk, which I always like because she is one of my. One of my faves.
0: Well, and your favorite team is the X-Men. You said yes. it. So I'm going to hold that against you. So, yep. We got to talk about your favorite team, too.
1: Is your favorite team the Avengers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I honestly can't decide sometimes whether it's the Avengers or the X-Men, but...
0: I like the X-Men, though. I was huge into the X-Men, you know, for a while, as as we all are, I guess.
1: I've read a lot more X-Men than I have Avengers, and um, the X-Men... Ha- from my experience have a lot more like continued character drama than the Avengers. It
0: kind of makes more sense because they are like the fantastic Four, a book that starts as a team. Right. So it's a different kind of concept than the JLA or Avengers where they all had their own thing and they get together once in a while.
1: Well, shall we, shall we start doing our wrap ups? Sure. We have some Twitter people I want to thank for following us. Okay. I am going to try to burn. I was going to try to space these out, but there are so many of them. I want to try to burn through this and, uh, And just, you know, thank people. So I think we talked about Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast, because I mentioned that I was on one of their episodes. So they're out there. Thank you for following us, Tomb of Ideas. We have Matt Sletto at Cooliopedia, a human space eater. Thanks, Matt. We have Markaling2099. Uh, He looks to be a Portuguese follower. So welcome, markaling at Mark Matts. Oh, and his current profile picture is Gwen Stacy from Spider-Verse. That's fantastic. We have Fan Holes Podcast. Find out what happens when five fellows start a podcast, stop being polite about pop culture, and start being fan holes. I think I, I browsed their page and they kind of, you know, glory and sort of tearing stuff up that they don't like. And and that's sort of the theme they have going on there. I could be wrong, so I don't want to misjudge them. but That's my impression of their from their page. Aquaman Shrine. Another Ooh. Rob Kelly page has followed us. Thank you. Oh, and he says that he would totally be down for uh, talking some Namor. Oh, right. Really? So, um, yeah. I, I we, should, just, we should talk about some way to make that happen.
0: I just joke about that because I know he loves the Aquaman. But maybe he likes all aquatic-based uh, characters or something.
1: Yeah. Um, Gossip Girl at Dan the McMahon. Just out here ha- asking the hard-hitting questions about comic books and weird stuff in general, co-host of at DC Super Sons. So he has started a podcast called DC Supersons where they're talking about DC comics. So go follow their Twitter account at DC Supersons. We have Maxo Romero, host of Plasticast and the Mirror Factory on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, brown and Proud. So welcome, Max. Might Guy, 2421, the world's number one Billy Zane fan. (laughs) Welcome, Might Guy. All right. Yeah. I didn't know we had Billy Zane fans that were like that proud of being Billy Zane fans. I've just never heard of that fandom. Maybe that's why he's number one. Maybe. We have um, Getting By, but they spell it B-I. Okay. At Cosmos Marmot. Uh, Kara Angelica, 31 queer, they, them, indigenous. So welcome to uh, the show zach Rabaroff, but he does not have a profile line so welcome zach at explore new mutant james explores the new mutants podcast a podcast exploring (sighs) examining and explaining the new mutants because it's about time nice i like i think they got some inspiration from uh um jay and miles
0: i like the new mutants uh yeah do they still they don't do that anymore probably
1: the New Mutants. Yeah. I believe there have been, there may currently be a series running right oh. now. There have been some re- efforts to revive them in recent years. Cool. Um, but reading through that 100 issues of New Mutants is one of the highlights of my 80s X-Men read through. Oh
0: yeah, that was good stuff.
1: Um, comics in the Golden Age at Comics in the GA, home of comics in the Golden Age podcast, and they talk about all sorts of comics published in the 30s, 40s, and early 50s. So that's great. Um, play Comics Cast. A podcast looking at video games based on comics. Okay. Um, oh, I
0: think I saw that on Twitter the, today. They were going to do Batman arcade or something.
1: Ooh, 89, that sounds fun.
0: Eighty nine
1: one. Hot and nerdy. Stephen Sapellas. I co-created the web series We Need Girlfriends. Now I have a new pilot that I've created titled Hot and Nerdy. So that's at Stephen Staples eighty one. Welcome, Stephen. I don't. I I need to check out the web series We Need Girlfriends. Well, um, I don't need one though. Yeah, I don't either, but I'm just curious to see what what they're doing over there. Byron McGrain, at ByronM19, family man, Red Sox fan, TV and pop culture maven. Wow. Red Sox. Okay. You have opinions on that?
0: (laughs) No. No problem. No problems with that.
1: (laughs) At Flight Stuff Pod, an Alpha Flight podcast is following us, so I love Alpha Flight. Well, I really like the concept of Alpha Flight. I have mixed (laughs) opinions on the series of
0: Alpha Flight. Right? That's what everybody... Probably thinks. I hope. I feel the same way. Seems cool. Not sure it's cool.
1: Yeah. The thing is, that the you know, the hundred thirty issues of that series had like four or five writers, and the the writing eras are so different in like feel. That you could have some very definitely different opinions depending on which issue of Alpha Flight you are on. Mm-hmm. At Ted Kilvington, a mid-Michigan Democrat and comic book enthusiast. I don't know why I pronounce it that way, but there <laughs> it is. At Hobby Dobby Shop, welcome. At Oswalt Liz, hi, I'm a trans woman in training. Welcome, Liz. I love that we have some trans listeners out there. Uh, at Team Rogers 87 welcome Rob, account only related to comic books. Maybe he's like me and has multiple accounts related to different things. Mm. Okay, so this podcast intrigues me, and I need to go check them out when I have some podcast rotation not, uh, time. The DC OCD Cast. Oh, boy. The DCOCD podcast covers every DC Comics event. Oh. And they're related to the Waiting for Doom podcast. They're on that feed.
0: When is someone going to cover, like, new fun comics?
1: New fun comics number one? Yeah.
0: Let's let's start at the beginning, people.
1: I'm sure that the Golden Age people have probably talked about it, although I, I think it's hard to find a copy.
0: It is. Uh, yeah. the,
1: the scan that's running around out there
0: it's is... incomplete.
1: I think it's the wrong comic. Oh, it's is new comics or new fun comics the first one?
0: I should know because I've just been kind of going through that, but I can't remember already. They sure said the word new a lot in all their comics.
1: Whichever was the first one, the other one is the one that's actually in the scan. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, the Phantom, at Phantom underscore comic. There's an Instagram uh, account de- devoted to the Phantom comics. They're following us. Uh, at Pete Whalley, or maybe may pronounce Whaley, a fanboy mark for D&D, fantasy RPGs, bad movies, and all things horror and monster related. Mm. And just today we had The underscore Benj, New Year, New there. They're following us. Nice. And finally, Spider Keegan, follower of Christ, co-host Game Store Prophets, En-Roads Ministries, lover of RPGs, rampant Game Master... So uh, a couple of RPG fans following us out there. So welcome, welcome to the show. Um, you want to tell them where they can contact us and find us and all that other stuff while I bring up the Facebooks?
0: They can contact us at makearsmarvel.com, where you will find every episode. Or you can press the little play button, listen directly there. Or if you don't like to do that, you can find the RSS feed to plug into your favorite podcast app. Or you can follow the link. Which hopefully will be there to one of your favorite podcast apps for either Google, Android, uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher. There's a bunch of stuff up there. There's also links to our social media that you know John is thanking us for right, thanking you guys for right now with Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus. And then the best part is there's a form you can fill out to send us a message so that we have stuff to read on our periodic. Uh, mailbag episodes so feel free to do that or email us directly at podcast at make and a
1: few people who've uh, liked us over at facebook include papa murray jeff gentile and jim christopoulos so thank you very much for liking us on facebook also john barge followed the page so thank you all for your support over on the book of faces Um, Ways you can support the show include retweeting and sharing posts of new episodes, reviewing the show, wherever it is that you uh, happen to partake of it, and um, just talking us up in your circles. If you like Silver Age Comics and you're in a conversation about Silver Age Comics, say, yo, there's this one show I like. Make ours Marvel. And we will love it when you do that. So I guess that wraps us up. That's it. (laughs) That is it. Another one in the bag. That is bag. 50 episodes. 50. 52 is a year. So we are almost there. When we finish March of, two, of 1964, that'll be a full year of broadcast. I know
0: you're just, you keep making it about a year, but I know as a DC fan, you're really just kind of sneaking in that 52 number. <laughs> into the wrong show, buddy.
1: <clears throat> it's weird that like... You know, it's been, like, a really big number for DC, but, like, not for really very long. I know. Was Infinite Crisis was in 2006.
0: I know, but every time I hear the word, the number 52, I think DC. So they really, they really hammered that into our brains, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah, they did. Well, um, I guess we will see you next time. And until then, or until Mastermind and Jean Grey have a sexy Mediterranean vacation,
0: make ours marvel. marvel.